section over here could just fill up a little more, I'd put out some more chairs because there's some of you that are probably a little uncomfortable with the uh, 80% capacity, but there's still room over here, okay? All right, Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, that's where we're at right now, and we will, we will be in, in the, those chapters, maybe till the Lord comes, amen? Wouldn't that be great to be preaching through Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and the Lord would come? So I want to read verses 15 through 22 again. As we look at the destruction of Jerusalem, we'll look at verses 23 through 28 next week. And then we'll get in some really interesting scripture and text when we get to verse 29. Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infant in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So what have we been talking about all along? The Lord is coming again. And the key is what? To be... Now, wait a minute. We, we've said it often enough. We ought to all know how to fill in the blanks here. The key is to be ready. Thank Jaden, thank you so helping helping me out with that. So we know the story. Jesus' disciples, like all of us, are a little curious about what's going to happen in the future. All of us, in some regard, would like to know that. But I want to tell you, there's some days in my life, I'm glad that I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, I've got all on my plate I can handle right now. I, I don't need to, to know any more than I know. Amen? So in verse 3 and 4... He begins to ask some. They, the disciples began to ask some questions of Jesus. Uh, the, the last part of three B says, "Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age." So they began to question him. They are up on the Mount of Olives. They're looking off at the temple. They're looking off at the city of Jerusalem, and uh, they they began to question him. And so this gave an opportunity. Uh, just like I have the opportunity because I finally got the chapter 4 to preach it, this gave Jesus an opportunity to speak to his disciples about what was going to happen. It's called the Olivet Discourse. You should all know this by now. Okay, this is, this is a question for you adults to ask your, your children when you get home. You kids listening, what is this discourse called? It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus taught this up on the summit of the Mount of Olives. It's the Olivet Discourse. It's an important part of the gospel. It takes up two chapters. And this passage, along with Mark 13 and Luke 21, has puzzled many great scholars uh, of, 
After years of studying God's Word, there's still some puzzlement to this. And as we look at it today and going forward, not everybody in here will exactly see it the same way. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go along. But let's look at verses 3 and 4 together. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. It wasn't a crowd. Uh, It was a private setting. And he could expound whatever he felt led to expound to his followers. And they say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and said, it's another important word, be ready. Always be ready in this word. See that no one leads you astray. Listen, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to come to the Father except Christ. Don't let anybody lead you astray from that. Hang on to the truth. And there seem to be three questions here to him. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? What about your coming? And what about how's it going to go down at the end of the world? Really good questions. Our Lord at another time told them it was not for them to know the end of the seasons and those kind of things. So there's some things we need to know, right? And if we need to know it, it's in here. Amen? And if we need to know it and it's in here, it'll be really clear. Okay? So those things that are not clear, they're called, they're called mysteries. Listen, we don't have to have it all figured out to be ready when Christ comes again. Amen? But here are some common sense keys that I want you to get as we get through these two chapters. Do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed. Times are going to get bad. Listen to me. Do not be surprised. Do not be alarmed. Be ready. And and here's the key. Look for His sudden, imminent, and bodily return. If you'll do that, you won't be led astray by some other false Christ's prophet coming around. So what will happen with each of us? Let me just ask you this. Let's say you think you got it figured out. What if it doesn't pan out that way? What are you going to do then? You're going to throw in the towel? Listen, the key is not to have it exactly figured out. The key is to be ready. How about this? How about just simple? If every day the rest of my life I get up to do two things, to live for God's glory and to look forward to His bodily return, I'll be okay. If you knew the Lord was coming back next Sunday, it ought to be shameful for any of us to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live this week different. We ought to live it just like he's going to come tomorrow because that may be the reality of the matter. So, so we're going to get into some some surprises here over the next couple weeks. And this is one I want you to think about. It surprises some that myself and others put any importance at all on the taking of Jerusalem, and the destruction of the temple. There are those that see chapter 24 as having nothing to do 
with Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. So when I read it, I tried. I, I made some notes the last time I read slowly and carefully from through 24 and 25. I want to tell you, my mind just keeps going from Jerusalem to the end of time to Jerusalem to the end of time as I read through this. That's just where my mind goes. So I don't have a problem in seeing that this has, has to do with the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the end time. But there's some that don't see it that way. There are those who would rather think that this chapter has everything to do and only with the return of Christ. That's okay. Now listen. My Bible labels verses 1 through 28 the destruction of the temple. It labels verses 29 through 51 is the coming of the Son of Man. Holding, but listen carefully. I want you to hear this. Holding either position or a different position does not make anyone a heretic. Doesn't make you a non-believer. Matter of fact, it should not cause any kind of schism or separate us at all. Because mysteries ought to be held as mysteries and they ought to be talked about and agreed upon to disagree among brothers in Christ. Amen? So that's what I kind of wanted to get out at the beginning. Now, I think all of us would agree that Jerusalem and the temple were at the very heart of Judaism. Right there is where it happened. It was the center. It was the seat of Judaism. And when the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed, it really was an end of the Jewish dispensation. He dealt with them, right? And he left the temple and said, you won't see me in here anymore. And after that, who did he turn to with the gospel message? The Gentiles. And aren't we glad? Now, is he through with the nation of Israel? Or is he through with those people? No. But right now, he's dealing with us. And there's evidently still some Gentiles to be saved because he hasn't returned yet. The daily sacrifices, the yearly feast, the altar, the Holy of Holies, the priesthood, and the temple were all parts of the revealed religion at that time. They, that's what it stood for. They were just examples of it. And I want you to know when Christ said it was finished and He died on the cross, the work of the old covenant was done. We are under the new covenant. We are under grace. We're under mercy. We've, we're under what Christ did on the cross and what He did leading up to the cross. As Jesus' woes clearly indicate... Are y'all with me? Do you remember those 13 woes in chapter 23? Remember how bad that was? That was a, that is a hard, terrible chapter. You know what those woes really said? You guys are dead. You just haven't been buried yet. They were dead. All these woes were really irreversible woes. And you know what? When something as magnificent as Judaism and as magnificent as the temple and magnificent as the city was, that's not going to go away quietly. There's going to be something significant to it. 
So all that's mentioned were a part of Jewish practices, are y'all with me? Which were only signs and types of Jesus Christ who was to come. Just types. Old Testament are just types of Jesus Christ to come. The prophecy of the destruction surely means more and will mean more to us as we go forward. Surely, they all have a fuller and deeper application. We do, do we not, surely look forward to the time that Jerusalem in the future is besieged by the enemies of God, about to be run over by the enemies of God. But what happened? When Israel has returned to their own land and is under siege, there'll be great persecution and great distress. And guess who's going to stop it? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will bring it all to a stoppage. That's surely going to happen in the future. This view might be a stretch for some, but I believe I'm in good company with people like Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he says, and I'm sure this has had an impact upon me. Here's what he says about chapter 24. Our Lord appears to have purposely mingled the prophecies concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and His second coming. That's what it appears to me as I read. So that there should be nothing, are y'all ready? Nothing in His Word to satisfy idle curiosity, but listen closely, but to keep His disciples always on the watch for His appearing, to keep His disciples to be... Are y'all here this morning? Have I already put you to sleep? You need to rouse yourself from sleep. All we can do is be ready. All we can do is be ready. We're going to look at that as we close a little later on. The key is to be ready. So I want us, I want us to ever be looking and expecting. Ever be looking and expecting. But what are the common sense keys as we study this Olivet Discord? Do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed. Be ready and look for His sudden and imminent bodily return. He is returning as He went. Be ready. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Spurgeon again says this portion appears to be to relate solely to the destruction of Jerusalem. But I will tell you, there will be a future time at the end time when the temple is desecrated, when the Antichrist will take up reign there, claim himself to be God. There is another desecration of the temple coming. But there is one that happened in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, it happened in Jerusalem more than once. It happened in Jerusalem in uh, 168 B.C. when uh, Anicus Ephenes, he defamed the temple. I I believe at that time historically, uh, and I want to ask some of you about the the writings of Josephus. I've never read one word except what I've seen quoted. Maybe some of you have read uh, the history related by Josephus. But at that time, 
supposedly there was a hog, a pig, uh, brought into the temple and offered there. Surely Jerusalem was, there was an abomination that, take, had take, that took place when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. There will be another desecration of the temple. There is one to come. So, what is here meant by the abomination of desolation? And what text in Daniel does our Lord refer to? Okay? Daniel, Revelation, Ezekiel, Zechariah, all of these have references to the end time prophecy. And, and I'm no scholar of any of those. But I will tell you that Daniel 9.27 was a time when the city will be overrun with abominable armies and made desolate. That's one, Daniel 9, 27. Daniel eleven thirty one. the abomination will be set up. It talks about in the temple. Daniel twelve eleven. the daily sacrifices shall be taken away. These are all references about the abomination of desolation. Some think that the text in Daniel here referred to is Daniel 12, 11. The daily sacrifice is taken away. Others say that it's that of Daniel 9, 27. And there's others yet who think that it's speaking about Antiochus Ephenines in 168. Listen, it's not the end of the world if we don't agree on which text Daniel, Jesus, in Daniel Jesus is referring to. We do know it was spoken by the prophet Daniel. Amen? He spoke all of these. And here Jesus quotes Daniel, giving great credibility to Daniel being a part of the Bible. And Jesus is letting his disciples know that Jewish worship was about to cease. That was it. The worship in the temple was about to cease. So... What do I think, what do I think this scripture is talking about? This abomination in verse 15. I believe it's the Roman army in the temple with all their signs, all their insignias, all their, all their uh, flags and everything that went with announcing that the Roman army has arrived. That's what I believe it is. Luke 21.20 says this, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And it surely had come near. Because of the righteous judgment of God, the holy place was once polluted by the abominable armies of Anicus Ephenes. Now again, they will be polluted by the armies of Rome. And then in the future, they will be polluted by the Antichrist when he comes and takes up rain in the temple, sets himself up in the temple. It says, when you see the Roman armies pitch their tents before Jerusalem, be assured God has turned Jerusalem over to the Roman army. It was just a matter of time. Also be assured, as bad as the destruction of Jerusalem was at that time and in the past, the events surrounding the leading up and the return of Christ will be even more horrific for those who have to experience it. It's just a little history to get us ready. Because listen, if we didn't have, have, have any history about how bad it's been in the past, the way that we've lived in America for the last 200 years, we wouldn't see any of that coming at all. 
I mean, we are not ready for persecution, church. We have been babied. We've been pampered. It's all going to change. And we need to be ready. Verse 16 and 17 and 18. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Y'all understand all that? It even gets better when the Lord returns. When when the Lord returns, are y'all ready? You ain't got time. Okay, listen, you don't have time to go back and get your cloak. You don't have time to come down off the rooftop and go in the house to get somebody ready. Are you ready? When the Lord comes back, you better be ready because it will be sudden and you won't have any time. It won't, you won't have that. Listen to me. You that yet have not put all your faith, trust, hope, confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he'll give you just a second. Listen, you won't have just a second to become a believer then. Be ready. At that time, I believe it's talking about people just had a moment. I think about Gladys All. All War, Walward, yeah. She was, uh, went to China and uh, had an orphanage with, I think she had like 60-something kids. And by the time she got ready to leave, when the, uh, the communists came and she left and took them on this, what, 21-day or 31-day journey across the mountains. So she left with all these kids and she took them. Uh, it came a moment that they had to get out of the city right then. They grabbed up the last kid and they got out of the city. Listen, the armies were here. If you were going to get out of the city, Christians were followers of Jesus and people then that were followers of, going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and those that were, that were studying to, to, to know more about the return of the Messiah, those people were under persecution. They, when the opportunity came, they had to leave. And we'll look at that. The import of all this is no more than this. Don't doubt that his return is going to happen. They, that, that time, no doubt, the armies are out there, the besiege of Jerusalem, it's going to happen. Another be ready. How, come on, church. How many be readies do we have to have? Are you with me? How about the flood? How many were ready? Uh, how many? Eight. Only eight were ready. The rest of them were singing and dancing and drinking and partying. Be concerned. Be ready. The destruction of Jerusalem. How many of them were ready? How many of them escaped? Death, persecution, difficulties. And his return all written. Are y'all with me? Be ready. Verse 19. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. I want you to see this in case I miss it. I want you to look at the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he say? Alas, I pray... For the women who are pregnant, 
for those who are nursing infants. In his flesh, in his humanity, in his godliness, you see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he was praying. Hey, the armies were there. It was going to happen, but yet he's praying compassionately for people. And it's okay to pray right up to the moment. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Mark and Luke have just slight variations from this. And that, I think in probably in your King James, that alas for women, it may be the word woe. But it's not the same woe as he talked to the Pharisees about. It's just the woe. It's going to be bad. It was that type of woe. This is a compassionate cry of our Lord. It will be bad. And an escape is called for. He said, I pray for the pregnant women. He prays it's not in the wintertime. That the Sabbath would not hinder hinder them from fleeing or defending themselves. Remember the Pharisees had taught that much was forbidden on the Sabbath, which permitted only a day's journey. And and where they they fled to, a place called Pella, was 40, 50, 60 miles. They couldn't get there in a day. So he prayed that it wouldn't happen on a Sabbath. When our Savior spoke these things, the Jewish Sabbath was the day of holy rest. And he knew that by his resurrection, he would sanctify a new Sabbath. It is, it is crazy, interestingly so, that for the last several months I have been listening to mostly, somewhat in a dialogue with someone that, uh, that is uh, trying to convince himself that we're still bound to Saturday and the Sabbath day. Okay? It's, it's interesting. And so a week ago Saturday, I met the guy for breakfast and gave him what guidance I could give him and gave him some stuff to read. And uh, at, at that time, I had not even come to the realization here that many people believe that in this scripture, Jesus is began to sanctify the first day of the week as the new holy day. And so uh, I got a text back, and I don't, I don't mind telling you who it's from. It's one, from one of the smartest guys that I know of. But he said, listen, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was a huge deal. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a huge deal. There is no Christianity if he's not resurrected. It is a big deal. And so he sees that Sunday, the first day of the week, becoming our day of rest. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. That he sanctified it and began to sanctify it here in this scripture. The Jews did not understand this for a minute. They would not know for a while that the old ways and the old Sabbath was abolished. They couldn't have known it at the time. Some of us don't know it today. No old Sabbath was to be observed after his resurrection. We are under a what covenant? 
a new covenant. That new covenant is all about who? The Lord Jesus Christ and His work. Verses 21 and 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. Listen, it's mounting It's mounting persecution. It's mounting tribulation. It was so bad uh, when Anicus Ephenines in 168 came. It was bad when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Listen, are you ready? What did I tell you from the beginning? And the end time, the persecution and tribulation for those left are going to be, it's going to be worse. It builds. Because we've had more and more History, we've had more and more discernment of how bad it's going to get. Great distress, much wrath poured out on all. Listen to this. Are y'all ready to hear these words? Sawed asunder, taken captive to other nations, sold as slaves, and so many sold that there was no market anymore. Burned at the stake until there was no more wood for fire. Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. This is emblematic of the Jewish nation. As Josephus gives in the history of the wars of the Jews... The people, because of the siege, listen, had literally turned and destroyed themselves. Horrific things that I can't even mention. The final destruction by Titus was what we would call a mercy killing. Mercifully, finally, The army broke through and killed the people, mercifully. So what does it say? How bad was it? For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Listen carefully. So that as the city was taken in less than six months, the entire country in less than 18 months more, If God had not shortened the days, not one Jew would have been left. Not one. That's how bad it was. In conclusion, what are three things that we can conclude this morning? Be ready. We might have to flee. Flee from sin every day. Does anybody have to flee from sin every day? Huh? Every day. Submit yourselves then to who? God. Do what? Resist the devil that he will flee from us. Maybe flee from danger. Should we be willing to die for what we believe? Absolutely. We should be ready to die. We should confess Christ and truth boldly. But listen to me. There was no shame here to flee bodily danger and to take your family to safety when no good would come from dying. There may be, there may be a day yet to fight. 
There's no hurry in being beheaded. There's no hurry in being burned at the stake. Maybe we're to live to fight another day. They fled to Pela. But here's, here's, here's kind of how I came to a conclusion of this. Be ready to flee. Don't act cowardly. Really? Don't, don't be a coward, but don't act rashly. Number two, don't forget the Lord's Day. Don't forget the Lord's Day. Christ mentions the Sabbath. Carefully now, consider, few people see any obligations today to make the Lord's Day a day of dedication to the Lord. Equating it to the ceremonial law that doesn't have to be kept anymore. It surely seems that even when all the Jewish formalities are over, they should remain a day of rest and remembrance for His people. It's for us that we might rest and we might remember the work of the Lord. Don't you think that today we ought to make keeping the Lord's day holy a tad bit more important? Number three, so don't, don't, be ready to flee. Don't forget the Lord's day. Number three, don't forget Christ remembers His. Isn't that great? He works what? What's it say in Romans 8, 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, when all this is going down, He will not forget one of His sheep. How many is going to leave out there hanging? Out there on their own? Not a one. He won't forget a one. He specially cares for his. Oh, now those around us might benefit from his goodness. He cares for them as his own children. He orders all things, even persecution and tribulation. For what? For our good. No one can snatch them out of his hand, John 6, 10, 28 says. Whatever persecution or tribulation may come, are y'all with me? His followers are safe in the almighty arms of God. What can man do to me? He can do nothing to me except help me get the glory quicker. Okay. Knowing all of this, Knowing that we need to be what? Now, come on, y'all. Wake up. At least do me a bob and at least recognize that you're not plumb out of it this morning. Be. Thank you. I feel much better, Bob. So, knowing what lies imminently ahead, let me ask you this question. Are you His? Are 
Are you still holding on to ownership? Turn in your Bibles to chapter 10 of John, verse 3. Are you yours still? Remember what it says about the kernel of wheat? Unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground to die, it remains a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Have you died to sin and self? Have you given your yourself to him? So hold right there in John 10, 3 and 4. John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. What's, what's the question we're pondering right now? Are you... Okay, be ready. But the question right now is, are you His? Uh, only each one of us can answer that question. I can, I can observe all of you and come up with what I think. Only we know. Right? John 10, 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his... So here, here's the deal. Through the word of God and by his spirit... Are you directed and guided by God Almighty? That's, good. That's a good sign. They hear His voice. He calls His own sheep by and leads them out. Ah, oh, here's another good sign. Are you following Jesus and His Word? Are you following Him? Verse 4, When He has brought out all His own... He goes before them, and the sheep. Let me just go back a step. Do you have any desire to follow him? That will that will uh, prove itself that you've got a little interest in this. And the sheep follow him, for they know his. That voice will always line up with the word of God. If it does not line up with the word of God, it's not the voice of God. It's not the voice of the good shepherd. It must align with the word of God. So are you his? Question number two is... How do you know he, you're His? You've got the Scripture right there, I think, in front of you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine who? To see whether you are in the... Yeah, do you, have, do, you, do you know without a doubt you put your faith, trust, hope, confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at that next part. Just two little words. Test who? Yeah. What are you looking for? Evidence that you're one of His sheep? Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is where? In you. If He is in you, you are His. You will have an interest in His Word. You will follow Him. 
that Christ Jesus is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Evidence don't save. Evidences are things you look at to make sure you are saved and that Christ Jesus is in you. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, he says, don't just sit on your laurels, think about it, examine yourself, work out, make sure you are saved, and what will that look at? look like? He's the shepherd, you're the sheep, you follow him the best you know how, the best you can. So, the last question this morning. Are you his? And if not, the thing to do today is not to flee. The thing to do is to go to the foot of the cross and go to the Lord Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life, become a follower of Jesus. Charles sang the song. What was that song? The last one he sang? Love lifted me. Amen. Let me ask you in closing. Has God's love lifted you up out of the mire and the muck? 1 John 4, 19. This is love. We love because He first loved us. Have you accepted that love? Have you become a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, I pray that today is the day that you would do just that.